0: Washington, D.C., this is on the ground. In the midterm election and in the upcoming U.S. Senate runoff in Georgia, the real story is racist voter suppression. We speak to journalist Anoa Changa.
1: We saw black members of Boards of Elections being kicked off those boards um, because they are pro-democracy, you know, pro-black and brown voters having more expanded access. There is this attitude from current state officials. The act as if they are trying to balance election integrity, election security with voter access, and that's simply not true. This is voter suppression in a new
0: light. An activist stage a tribunal targeting U.S. weapons makers, also known as the merchants of death.
2: We seek to hold these people accountable. They're using United States tax dollars to manufacture weapons of death, and they're leaving a trail of suffering across the globe that is in Libya and Iraq and Somalia, Sudan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, we seek to stop it and say, not in our name anymore, and not with our dollars.
0: All that and much more on today's show. Welcome to On the Ground, ground onthegroundshow.org, voices of resistance from the nation's capital for November 11th, 2022. I'm Esther Ivarum. Well, days after the midterm elections, it is still not clear whether Democrats or Republicans will have a majority in the U.S. House of Representatives or Senate. The much-predicted red wave of victory for Republicans did not occur. Instead, young voters and women are especially credited with turning out and turning the supposed red wave into a trickle. Inflation and a worsening economy did not magically transform the country's urban progressive majority. Into MAGA voters eager to cast a ballot for Republican election deniers who vowed to ban abortion, cut Social Security, and block student loan forgiveness. All five ballot initiatives to protect the right to an abortion were approved in California, Kentucky, Michigan, Montana, and Vermont. Voters in Alabama, Oregon, Tennessee, and Vermont also approved measures to ban forced labor as a part of punishment For those convicted of a crime and incarcerated, these measures closed the so-called slavery loophole of the 13th Amendment, which ended chattel slavery with the exception for those convicted of and imprisoned for a crime. But a similar effort to ban prison slavery in Louisiana was defeated with roughly two thirds voting against it. Meanwhile, voters in Maryland and Missouri approved legalizing and regulating recreational marijuana sales and for expunging criminal records for nonviolent pot-related charges. Similar ballot initiatives failed in Arkansas, North Dakota, and South Dakota. And with counting ongoing in U.S. Senate races in Arizona and Nevada, Focus is turning to the Georgia December 6th runoff between Democrat Raphael Warnock and Republican challenger Herschel Walker. Atlanta-based journalist Noah Changa told On the Ground that unlike the runoff from the 2020 election, which brought two Democrats, Warnock and John Ossoff, to the Senate, legislation passed since that time provides only one month rather than two to prepare for the runoff. More on elections and voter suppression measures in Georgia later in the show. For a few days, the U.S. election is turning attention away from the U.S.-NATO proxy war against Russia in Ukraine, where Russia announced Wednesday that it is withdrawing troops from parts of the Kyrgyzstan region to the left bank of the Dnieper River. Russian officials said that the temporary withdrawal was made in part because Kiev continues to bomb and attempts to destroy the nearby Kokoskaya electrical plant and dam. The destruction of which would endanger soldiers and civilians, many of whom were evacuated along with Russian troops. Ukraine claimed the withdrawal as a victory and replaced Russian flags with Ukrainian flags on formerly occupied government buildings. Meanwhile, the most important story on the planet is happening in Egypt, where the UN Climate Summit or COP27 Summit is happening. But Common Dreams reports that there are more fossil fuel lobbyists attending the conference than representatives of the 10 nations most impacted by the climate crisis. Citing data and analysis from Corporate Accountability, Corporate Europe Observatory and Global Witness. Journalist Jake Johnson says that there are more fossil fuel lobbyists at the conference than officials from Puerto Rico, Myanmar, Haiti, the Philippines, Mozambique, the Bahamas, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Thailand, and Nepal, the 10 countries most impacted by the worsening global climate emergency. A spokesperson for the three watchdog organizations said, quote, The extraordinary presence of this industry's lobbyists at these talks is a twisted joke at the expense of both people and planet. Tobacco lobbyists wouldn't be welcome at health conferences. Arms dealers can't promote their trade at peace conventions. Those perpetuating the world's fossil fuel addiction should not be allowed through the doors of a climate conference. End quote, the spokesperson said. The U.N. climate conference is ongoing until November 18th. The case of a political prisoner on hunger strike during the climate summit continues to make news as his condition deteriorates. Chantel James has more.
3: On November six, Egyptian political prisoner held by the U.S.-backed Sisi regime, ala Abdel Fattah, began a complete water strike refusing all liquids. It came as the culmination to his 215 days of hunger striking in protest of his years of being imprisoned without just cause. His water strike is time for the beginning of the United Nations Climate Conference which brings world leaders to Egypt this November. Actions in solidarity and calling for his freedom have been and are taking place internationally. Here in DC, Free Allah held a protest with signs where readings from his work and letters were held. In front of the British Embassy in London, members of his family joined one of the many other protests demanding his freedom around the world. His aunt, Adaf Suwaif spoke to the Middle East Eye. So he's using what he has to be part of the campaign and the struggle to free him. And he sees it, of course, as a struggle to free a lot of people as well, not just himself. Allah's family has demanded proof of life of his imprisoners since it has been days since word from him. For On the Ground, this is Chantal James.
0: And in a final news item related to the climate summit, Multipolarista is reporting that U.S. and European officials are using the forum to meet with Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro, even after years of backing a failed coup attempt against him. Editor Ben Norton wrote that at COP27, Francis Emmanuel Macron U.S. climate envoy John Kerry and Portugal's prime minister all met with Maduro, dropping their pretense that an unelected man named Juan Guaido is Venezuela's supposed interim president. Norton also commented on these meetings on his podcast.
2: December 5th is the final deadline for the European Union to no longer import Russian crude oil. That means that it is scrambling to find new sources of energy as winter comes and the price of oil is already very high. The U.S. and Europe have tried to pressure Saudi Arabia and the OPEC plus countries to increase oil production in order to drop prices in the global market. And Saudi Arabia told Biden no. And it's not in the interests of OPEC plus oil producing nations to increase production because then they would lose money. So the U.S. is trying to force other countries, and Europe is trying to force other countries to lose money by producing too much oil to drop the price of oil in order to save its own economy.
0: Since 2015, the U.S. has targeted Venezuela with illegal unilateral sanctions, seriously damaging Venezuela's oil industry, restricting its exports, and starving the country of income. Also at COP27, a new report by the German nonprofit Userwald and 50 NGO partners found that the vast majority of the world's oil and gas companies intend to scale up the extraction of fossil fuels in the years ahead. Despite the fact that such drilling and mining goes against achieving net zero emissions by 2050, which meets the Paris Agreement's goal of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre industrial levels. In Black Lives Matter news, The Intercept reports that on Thursday, the U.S. Parole Commission confirmed that Dr. Mutulu Shakur. Political prisoner and stepfather of rapper Tupac Shakur will be permitted to spend his final days outside of prison after more than 36 years behind bars. Shakur is dying of bone marrow cancer. In May, a Bureau of Prisons doctor said that Shakur had less than six months to live, but only now is a parole commission allowing his release. He is a renowned acupuncturist and a mentor to many in the movement to bring holistic health care to black people. He is expected to live with family members in Southern California. And Grassroots Law is reporting that three Pennsylvania police officers, Brian Devaney, Sean Dolan, and Devin Smith, who shot and killed eight-year-old Fanta Balitti outside of Philadelphia last year, have agreed to plead guilty to 10 counts of reckless endangerment and face up to 20 years in prison. Fanta was shot and killed August 27th, 2021, when the officers fired 25 shots at a car in an area where a crowd of high school football fans were gathered after a game. Fanta was hit by one of the stray bullets. Her family released a statement that read, quote, After much prayer and discussion with our family, we determined that it was in our best interest for the district attorney to ensure That the police officers take responsibility for their action, admit to their reckless conduct, endangering many, and killing our Fanta. We pray that as a result of police officers being held accountable, we can, as a family and as a community, finally have some closure and begin the healing process. End quote. In DC, voters overwhelmingly approved a law Tuesday, phasing out the tipped minimum wage by 2027. Currently, employers can pay their TIP workers a sub minimum wage of $5.35 per hour, with the expectation that customers will get their workers' total earnings to the full minimum wage of $16.10. If TIPs do not, then employers by law are supposed to make up the difference. But starting next year, the TIP minimum wage of $5.35 is required to increase by a dollar or two every year until. It is equal to the full minimum wage. DCist reports that by 2027, employers can no longer rely on gratuity, but have to pay all their workers the full prevailing minimum wage, which is based on inflation. A similar law was approved by DC voters four years ago, but was then overturned by the DC council. And finally, speaking of the D.C. Council, it is holding a virtual public hearing on the creation of public social housing on Tuesday, November 22nd at 11 a.m. and is accepting video and written testimony, according to an, an announcement released by the council, the Green New Deal for Housing Amendment Act of 2022 would allow investments in district-owned social housing developments and require the mayor to evaluate certain properties for a conversion into social housing developments before disposing of them the district would be allowed to purchase residential property for conversion into social housing developments. It would also establish an Office of Social Housing Developments and provide for the appointment of a director to foster the development of district-owned residential properties designed to be mixed income housing with up to two-thirds of the property's price to be permanently affordable for low-income households. The Council's Committee on Housing and Executive Administration can be reached at housing at And those are our headlines and happenings. This is on the ground. Stay with us. <laughs>
4: of death, such as Lockheed Martin that we're standing in front of, are the purveyors of death throughout the world. We as American citizens have the responsibility to call out when we see criminal acts being committed by companies and on behalf of the U.S. government, the warmongering U.S. government that has had so many wars around the world. So we as citizens are here to say no more death, stop these merchants of death. Stop the huge expenditure that the United States makes on on military weapons uh, and on wars. So no more wars, no more merchants of death. Thank you. Say no to Martin, Martin. Martin. Say
5: no to Martin. Martin. Say no to war
2: profiteers.
5: Say no to war profiteers.
2: Today, November 10th, 2022, the representatives of the Merchants of Death War Crimes Tribunal delivered a subpoena to Lockheed Martin. They are charged with committing war crimes, crimes against humanity, bribery, and theft. They have 90 days to respond to our subpoena, and if they fail to do so, the tribunal moves to the second phase of its operations. The subpoena demands that they turn over all documentation evidencing their crime in the commission of uh, war crimes, crimes against humanity, bribery, and theft. All of us have gathered here today in support of that. <clears throat> We've got Noam Chomsky and John Pilger and Cordell West and a wide assembly and right this year, Medea Benjamin, we here, all of whom are supportive of this effort. We simply seek to hold these people accountable. They're using United States tax dollars to manufacture weapons of death, and they're leaving a trail of suffering across the globe that is in Libya and Iraq and Somalia, Sudan, Afghanistan, Pakistan. We seek to stop it and say, not in our name anymore and not with our dollars. So this tribunal is going to shine a light inside their corporate headquarters and reveal just how much money they are making off of death. They know i lucky Aten!
5: They know
4: Say no to war profiteers! We're here outside the headquarters of Lockheed Martin, and this war in Ukraine has really been a greenwashing for these merchants of death because it's being portrayed that they are helping the resistance in uh, Ukraine and so they are doing a very positive thing after they've been so uh, outed for the death and destruction they've caused in other places like in Yemen. And I think it's important for people to recognize that what's happening is that this war is giving them a new lease on life after the war in Afghanistan ended, or the U.S. participation ended. Uh, And so uh, they're now looking for a multi-year war against a powerful country. Uh, And there is an amendment now they're trying to put onto the National Defense Authorization Act that would allow for the contracts for the uh, weapons companies to be multi-year contracts that don't have to be approved every year by Congress, and uh, that would be no-bid contracts as well. And so this Ukraine war uh, is something they want to see going on and on, uh, and uh, I think it's important that we're here now, outside these companies, to say this war and every single war must end, and these companies must either go out of business or find something to do that is useful for humanity.
0: Do we know how much money Lockheed Martin is making
4: off the war, or, or do we have any figures for these companies? Well, we know that their um, their stocks have soared as soon as the war started, and then as soon as this amendment was introduced, um, their stock soared, because this is exactly what they want. Um, They don't want scrutiny by Congress, and they certainly don't want scrutiny by the American public. Um, So, I don't know exactly what they are right now, uh, but we know that war is good for their business, war is their business, uh, and this is what... Um, makes their millions of dollars in profits when you look not only at these gigantic buildings that they have here, but look at the mansions all around here. And these mansions that you'll see in the Virginia countryside, all close to Washington, D.C., uh, is money that came from death and destruction and suffering and violence. And, you well, know, that's their business.
5: How oh, many kids are the kills of
0: That was Code Pink co-founder Medea Benjamin and before her activist Brad Wolf and retired Colonel Ann Wright speaking Thursday morning outside the headquarters of weapons manufacturer Lockheed Martin in Crystal City, Virginia. That was the first stop in the Merchants of Death War Crimes Tribunal, which served subpoenas on Lockheed Martin and then Boeing, Raytheon and General Atomics for war crimes. More about the campaign is at merchantsofdeath.org. This is On the Ground. Stay with us. on the ground, ground onthegroundshow.org, voices of resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam, And for more on the midterm elections, I'm joined by Anoa Changa. She's a Southern-based movement journalist and a retired attorney. I feel so funny saying retired. You're not old enough to be retired. Well, there's a story behind that, but I appreciate you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, welcome back to the show, Anoa.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, We are a few days out from the election and there was no red wave. There was a lot of postscript, not enough, you know, before the election, but a lot of postscript about how polls are defective. They were all over the place. They're not scientific. But the race reinforced to me how so much of corporate media and the Democratic Party accepts right wing talking points and accepts the narrative put out by the right and the far right about the election. I mean, I never thought that it was going to be a red wave. I just didn't understand. It didn't jibe with what I understand people's sentiments to be. But I understand I also maybe live in a a bit of a left bubble. But anyway, why don't you give me your thoughts on those ideas and, you know, your biggest takeaway from the election?
1: My biggest takeaway in the election, I think, is what we continue to see over the past several cycles. We need to stop listening to pollsters as mm-hmm. if it's the gospel polls don't vote people do and really dig in into the narratives that are coming from communities and working people and grassroots organizers instead of prioritizing what pundits and and talking heads think ought to be the message for the masses it's just been really interesting being based in Georgia and watching you know another election cycle go past from here the way in which people will construct narratives because it supports their understanding and their vision of politics. But we need to really like delve and deal with some truths that are happening in these elections, in these races. Also in some truths about how we are either being successful in opportunities to close the gap, as we saw Wisconsin Senatorial candidate Mandela Barnes do in his race against Senator Ron Johnson. While Mandela did not win his race, he significantly closed a very large gap between Ron Johnson and the Democratic nominee when compared to former Senator Russ Feingold, who lost that seat to Ron Johnson first in 2010, and then who lost again when he tried to challenge Ron Johnson in 2016. And so we are seeing candidates like Barnes, we're seeing efforts like organizations like Block, Black Leaders Organizing Communities in Wisconsin, led by Angela Lang and other amazing organizers in Wisconsin that are doing phenomenal work. And they're doing it compared to the massive spending we're seeing from either major party or the billionaire donors that are dropping into races. We're seeing grassroots organizations do these amazing organizing efforts on shoestring budgets by comparison. And so what I'm really looking at coming out of this election cycle is like, how do we build on the strength of some amazing wins that happened? some really exciting moments. And instead of just letting, you know, the president or whatever establishment organization or operative run with like, see, we always knew it was going to be all right. You know, we did it again. <laughs> right. Really learning the lessons in the moment because there could have been more wins had those lessons been learned.
0: Gosh, there's so much in what you said. There's so much truth and, you know, rarely spoken truth these days in terms of the election And when you were speaking, it reminded me of how I heard Latasha Brown from Black Voters Matter in an interview, and she was speaking to some of what you just said. All the money given to these high paid so-called election analysts or, you know, strategists here in D.C. to try out the same uh, tried and failed policies, yet no funds being given to organizations on the ground who are largely responsible for turning out what wins there were in 2020 and what wins there were in this election also. And also the fact that in terms of getting back to narrative, that when you look at how all the abortion referenda won, progressive prosecutors being elected and reelected around the country, Mm -hmm. not only the how close Mandela Barnes uh, got, but how Summer Lee fought off two rounds of APAC spending against her. And also the unreported story about how all these groups and all these efforts were made despite continued voter suppression targeting the black community. And uh, I did a show earlier this week, the Socialist Program podcast with Brian Becker. And that's what we talked about. And since you're in Georgia and all eyes are going to go back to Georgia, tell us about how that massive voter suppression legislation passed in Georgia after the 2020 election had an impact and it might still have an impact.
1: Yeah, I mean, you touched on so much right there, right? And I think thinking about Georgia, I mean... We saw an amazing effort in 2020 across the country in the midst of a global pandemic, in the midst of racial justice uprisings, and just so much feeling and emotion and energy. And there was a real moment, right? And we saw in Georgia, that moment never ended because after the November 2020 election, where everybody else got to enjoy the holidays and breathe. Organizers here on the ground were grinding because they had to flip not one, but two sentences, something that nobody in d c including you know Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer believed was possible right um folks didn 't even believe that Senator Raphael Warnock could be the guy it's something that people on the ground who have watched the Senator as Reverend Warnock in person organizing knew was very possible, and so that runoff and the the lessons there i mean we're talking about s b two o two you immediately have in the middle of all of that remember. Georgia is also one of the states, along with Pennsylvania, had a lot of this happening. Arizona really got it bad too. But Georgia's one of the states where we had the onslaught of the Trump machine with Rudolph Giuliani and and their supposed experts and stuff lying literally in legislative committees and testimonials. About the election and the validity of our election and really challenging the validity of black and brown and other people of color who cast their ballots against Trump and against, you know, his chosen candidates for Senate. And so. What we immediately saw as soon as legislative sessions opened up in 2021, and we saw this happening all across the country, we saw attacks on voting rights. We saw attacks on education and, you know, truth about racism through anti-CRT bills, which really had nothing to do with grappling with what critical race theory is even about. We saw delays in Congress in terms of being able to move into action like stronger protections around voting rights. What we know here in Georgia with SB 202, despite a very unfortunate op-ed that Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson co-wrote with Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, the need that Democrats have to prove how bipartisan they are is gross sometimes and this is an example of that to claim that, you know, it's easier to vote in their states. Voting in Michigan is not like voting in Georgia and that is something that people need to recognize and understand that We have such desperate experiences of voting based on geography, based on what state you're living in, based on what party controls your state, based on the zip code in neighborhood you live in. Right. And so here Mm -hmm. in Georgia, under SB 202, which was passed very much in the vein of the big lie, we saw prime example is the runoff election that is set now for December 6th. in our Senate race in Georgia in 2020, we had two months approximately basically for a runoff election. Runoff election was on January 5th literally the day before the insurrection, and now it's a month earlier. That is one thing that changed with SB 202. I mean, a lot of people have talked about the prohibiting of line warming, which you know was people giving out snacks and hand sanitizer because it was the pandemic, masks, things of that nature, like comfort captains, making sure people had what they needed because of the historically long lines that we have seen in states like Georgia, like Texas, When it came to voting, we saw restrictions in SB 202 on the ability to use absentee ballots. Now, in Georgia, we have no excuse for absentee ballots. You do not need a reason to request one. If you just don't feel like going to the polls, you can request an absentee ballot. With a pandemic that we still very much have COVID-19, for some people, that is a healthier option for them. But we saw attempts to restrict that right, which was something that was actually passed by Republican members of the legislature, some of who are still in the legislature now. They then, because it was such a well-used option in 2020, tried to curb it, but they did add requirements around ID for absentee ballots. We saw higher rejection rates in the primary and, again, in this general election for absentee ballots as compared to the 2020 election. There was a lot of work done around curing votes, so making sure that people had a clear process to cure their ballots and votes post-2018. And we saw lower rejection rates in 2020, and now we saw, again, higher rejection rates and first the primary now, in the general election, in terms of absentee ballots that did not have, whether well, they were missing the numbers from someone's ID. Or a signature, we had issues with signature match issues. You know, if you're going to the DMV and you scribble your signature on the little pad, even if you take your time to write as nice and neat as you want to, when you look at your ID, your signature is not necessarily what your signature normally is. And yet that is the type of record that was being used to match up for people in terms of, you know, casting their absentee ballots. So we've seen signature match issues in the past be an issue But now we were seeing issues related to like people being able to have, I I believe it's like the numbers from their ID for. So if you have like a driver's license number or identification number on your ID, submitting that information also with ballots. I know in Wisconsin, while we're talking, we're talking about Georgia, but in Wisconsin, I know folks were having similar issues because in Wisconsin, when you do vote absentee, you have to have someone witness your vote. So someone else has to sign off or you have issues in like in Pennsylvania with the date. So you know you received the ballot in time, but if it wasn't properly, the person didn't put the proper date on it, even if you have verified that you received it in time, they were trying to disallow those ballots. So we've seen a lot around the country, but here in Georgia, we also saw issues, provisions with being able to take over boards of elections. We saw black members of boards of elections being kicked off those boards, um, because they are pro-democracy, you know, pro-black and brown voters have been more expanded access. There is this attitude from current state officials that act as if they are trying to balance um, election integrity, election security with voter access. And that's simply not true. This is voter suppression in a new light. Um, we saw re- reductions in availability of absentee ballot drop boxes,
0: before you go to the drop boxes, wasn't there like, like a 90% or more drop in the mail in ballots? Or? There was, I forget the exact numbers, but there was a
1: huge drop in the, in the change of mail in ballots because the rules are somewhat confusing what you have to right. do. They claim they've made it easier, it's streamlined. You not only like, so before you could go online and request your absentee ballot online, like this was something that happened as a convenience during the 2020 election, it made it a lot easier to do. I did it. My daughter did it. She was a first time voter. We both were able to do it in 2020. I have a compromised immune system. So this made it very easy for me to request my ballot because that's the difference between an absentee ballot system and a vote by mail system and a vote by mail system, like in Colorado or Washington state, their elections are vote by mail. You're a ballot registered voter. You get your ballot mailed to you at your primary, you get your ballot mailed to you at your general election. Here, when you have an absentee ballot system, you have to request the ballot for each election that you're voting in. So that's more time back and forth in terms of processing. That's more time back and forth in terms of waiting to receive your ballot and more time back and forth waiting for them to receive and process your ballot, right? And so they've also reduced times around processing times. They've reduced times around when ballots can be requested and sent out. So a lot of those things, the confusion around it did limit the ability of people. I think I think it just caused a lot of concern because you don't want your ballot possibly like floating in the wind in the mail system or something like that. And then you probably could have just gone and voted early. vote there's also confusion for people because you can cancel your ballot if you had voted or if you voted by mail. If you were worried about your, your vote not counting, you could then cancel your ballot at the polls and vote either early or on election day. A lot of people don't know stuff like that. But this is why the work of grassroots organizations on the ground are so critical, because they're the ones that are actually making sure this happens. The last thing I'll note that would happen because of SB 202, we saw a ridiculous amount of challenges to voters trying to disenfranchise them from the ballot because SB202 made it possible for there to be unlimited voter challenges. Now, this right. is not saying that people who should be cleaned off the rolls because they moved are deceased or whatever, should we shouldn't do that. But election administrations are already doing that. But this comes after True the Vote, a conservative nonprofit based in Texas, came into Georgia and tried to get boards of elections in a couple different more rural counties. They tried to get them to purge a bunch of Voters ahead of the 2021 runoff that we had in the Senate races. The case right. actually ended up going up to a federal court judge who just so happened to be assigned to Judge Abrams. Stacey Abrams sister sits on the federal court here as a federal court judge here. And she was like, no, this is a clear violation of the law. Our sitting secretary of state, this is when people talk about how much of a champion he is. No, our secretary of state used his official resources to put out a statement blasting a decision by a federal court judge who was upholding federal law because there's the National Voter Registration Act Even though we have the erosion of the Voting Rights Act, there are still certain things that states have to do when we're talking about federal elections. And what true the vote was trying to pressure various county boards of elections to do in purging people flew in the face of, you know, federal law. And so our secretary of state spoke out against this, as spoke out against the federal, like the decision from a judge, just because she's Stacey Abrams' sister, and that would help gin up the base in terms of Republicans. So we have a lot of sleight of hand that's been happening here in Georgia, and it's not about making the process more safe. The election in Georgia, despite all of the issues that we were having society-wide in 2020, was a smooth election in terms of, quote-unquote, security and, quote-unquote, integrity. You know what I'm saying? So there was no exactly. need to make any of these changes. They very clearly did it to frustrate ballot access once again.
0: I know we're going to take a brief break and we'll be right back.
5: Freedom! Freedom! It's still a of freedom, it's still a call. It's still about the freedom. It's still about the freedom.
0: This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's capital. I'm Mr. Iveram, in conversation with journalist Anoa Changa about the midterm elections. And Anoa, I know that the issue of voter suppression and this mechanism of challenging voters and disenfranchising them in Georgia was a really big deal. The investigative journalist Greg Palace has uh, written and actually uh, exposed so much of that in his movie. I think it's called Vigilante. And this is an incredible document where he interviews a um, black man serving in the military who was challenged because he was living and he's living in California or stationed in California. So this was a, a convenient person to, to challenge. And somehow he had to address the challenge in person And it required him to come back to Georgia to do it. And there's one particular right-wing activist who had challenged more than 30,000 people. So this is definitely something that, has played a part. And the last count that I saw, I think it was, uh, I think the nation magazine may have looked at that and they said of the tens of thousands of people challenged, you know, maybe up to 150,000 people challenged. They know for sure that 3000 people were disenfranchised through that process, maybe more, but this tactic and this really criminal attempt to keep people from voting and having access to the vote the same activists that you're you're talking about who are the ones on the ground getting people to the polls making sure they have ballot access they had to take their time to deal with these challenges you know so that created another speed bump just in terms of getting people to the polls so it's kind of this unreported story as people turn their attention to talk about whether Trump is going to run or DeSantis in Florida and and all his machinations there around the presidential run. But they aren't looking at this basic issue about democratic access, democracy, what's supposed to be democratic access to the polls. But wait, we don't have a lot more time, but then I guess in the time we have left, I'm wondering what What other issue in the election that we should focus on? I really wanted to send out a lot of light and love to Summer Lee's campaign in Pennsylvania. (laughs) I'm from Pennsylvania, from the other side of the state, from Philadelphia. But the idea... That this young black woman, from what I understand, a uh, uh, movement activist, a Black Lives Matter activist, someone who is uh, working in the community, wanting to represent her community and being targeted, especially mm-hmm. by APAC and the Israel lobby, because she stands up for the Palestinian people who are being slaughtered daily. And this this is only being ramped up more and more each day with the surge of the far right in Israel. I should say in occupied Palestine. So um, I just want to definitely hold her up and uh, get your thoughts finally about her campaign uh the campaign because you know the squad gets so much shade you know guess caught up in the system here in dc they haven't uh come out uh stand up against uh you know this u.s proxy war against ukraine they haven't they don't do some of the things that that the left wants them to do and then they get targeted by the left and the far right so anyway what are your thoughts
1: yeah, I mean, I have so much love and respect for Summerlee. I remember Congresswoman-elect Summerlee. I remember when I first met Summer in 2018 after her primary election in her first race when she ran for state house uh, representative, and she has been fighting against the establishment in her own party ever since she first launched her race in 2018, ever since she ran in 2018. Uh, she was the first Black woman, I believe, to be a part of the Allegheny County delegation in the State House. She's now mm. the first Black woman to represent the entire state and Congress ever. And so, mm. I mean, historical firsts are awesome and dope, but when you have someone that's so committed to the people and the issues and building collectively in community, I think people have different takes and opinions on Israel and what we're supposed to do in terms of supporting it as a quote unquote ally of the United States. Fine, whatever, let's debate about those issues. But when we have organizations that are solely focused on not just... This is my issue, and I'm doubling down on this, but we watched APAC in this midterm season attack Black and other women of color progressives viciously while simultaneously supporting Republicans who are anti-democracy here in the United States of America, right? They have, I forget what the number is, but they have a number of insurrectionist Republicans that they have supported. So there is a very clear message that's being sent with this while we're simultaneously seeing the vilification Of a true advocate and sister in the movement like Summer Lee, who is being slammed um, in ads and being targeted. And instead of just fighting on the issues, I mean, you know, she was running against an extremist Republican who just so happened to have the same name as the outgoing congressman, Mike Doyle. It was an uphill battle, but, you know, she has been building and working community. Um, You know, she had the support of a lot of local legislators and elected leaders like Pittsburgh Mayor Ed Gainey. And so it's just a testament. There was a really good panel that she did, along with Jasiri X and a couple other folks about the building of political power amongst black progressives in Pennsylvania and the type of coalition building and we just saw Pennsylvania just show up in a really amazing way because of the grassroots organizing and work that people are putting in. I mean Pennsylvania is possibly on the verge of flipping its state House from Republican to Democrat because of young folks because of black and brown folks because of progressives and we're seeing you know things like that in many races around the country even though we may not have had the bigger wins that grab headlines, there are some really amazing down-ballot victories. Summers as a congressional race is definitely one of them. Greg Cesar in um, Texas, also entering Congress, another really amazing a Latino progressive. You have some really great things that have happened in this election cycle that I think we need to be building on and we need to be redefining what it means to win and telling the longer story because we're not going to dismantle entrenched status quo, entrenched systems overnight. We're not going to be able to overpower these political machines that have been at it for generations, for centuries, right? Right. In just one election cycle, we got to keep building and building and building. The last person I'll shout out is Kenneth Mija out in California running for Los Angeles auditor, I believe it is. I remember Kenneth back in 2016 as a young activist uh, supporting Bernie Sanders and then trying to run for, I think it might have been city council at the time. I can't remember But watching Kenneth continue to grow and build and six years later, being on the verge of being an elected official in Los Angeles is a beautiful and amazing thing. And so we need to start telling the story of what it means to build political power. We need to be able to talk about and explain to people in real living terms what that even means, because as progressives, there are all these really great phrases and words and we get all fired up or we start quoting Asada or (laughs) Uh, You know, Fred Hampton or whatever. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. But we got to start talking to people specifically about, as my brother would say, the specifics. We got to get really clear in language that folks are understanding and working with and build out these narratives. We can't just leave it up to whomever to tell our stories. We have to be telling our stories for ourselves. So I'm very honored to have been able to share some time with you talking about my home state of Georgia and Summerlee and
0: all these things today. And as soon as I think that, okay, that's just one more thing I want to fit in, I, have to, I think of something else. But anyway, uh, this is On the Ground, and I'm Esther Averum, and I'm in conversation with a Noah Changa, Southern-based journalist. And Noah, you said something, and it flipped me over to another thought. Mm-mm. When you said that Summerlee has had to fight her own party, I think we can't not mention this, okay? So... It turns out that when you look at what happened in New York state, that Oops, the wow. effort, the effort of the the Democratic Party chair there to fight against progressives there and and marginalized progressives may have produced this flip in the House of Representatives. They flipped four seats in deep blue New York from Democrat to Republican. And that four seats is a lot when you're talking about the slim margins that are going to be produced in the House of Representatives now. And as it turns out that the failure of this uh, DNC state chair there to be a good steward and see through legislation, which would have had a fair portion of seats, it likely caused this flip. And uh, the fact that you have this happening time and time again where you see progressives have, having to fight their own party. Apparently, this same state chair compared the sister who was running for mayor of Buffalo, he compared her because she was a socialist, compared her to the Ku Klux Klan. This is the kind of thing that progressives all over who are trying to work within the Democratic Party had to deal with. And when you see uh, groups like APEC always able to work through the Democratic Party to target progressives, this is something that has to be called out and challenged and fought against. So anyway, that's a whole other show. I've been joined by Southern-based journalist, Anoa Changa. Thank you so much for joining me, Anoa. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And that's it for today's show. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital on two dozen stations on the Pacifica Radio Network and on all your podcast platforms at On the Ground with Esther Ivarum. Our website and archive of all of our shows is at onthegroundshow.org. In addition, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and I'll also link to every show on my Instagram page at Esther underscore Averum. Special thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon.com at On the Ground Show. The music we played this hour included Way by Ile Aye, Leave Me Alone by Michael Jackson, Freedom by Navasha Deya, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Iveram. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. Thank you so much to listeners who have gotten on board with us and join our Patreon page. We are a totally independent operation, independent journalism uh, produced here from Washington, D.C. We don't have any corporate backing. You see, we don't have any advertising and we don't want any. We want to be supported by our listeners and by the people. So please, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash On The Ground Show and uh, become a member on Patreon. Uh, that's the best way because I can send you automatically an email every time we post the show, whenever we post bonus content. You can also go to the website On onthegroundshow.org and click on the Donate Now or Donate uh, Support button and it will tell you all ways you can give, including PayPal, Anyway, thanks so much everyone for listening and supporting and can't wait to bring you next week's show.